We're continuing our sermon series of Life on Mission with Jesus, and uh, if you haven't been with us in the journey, uh, I want to get you caught up, and for those of you guys who have been a part of the journey, hopefully this is a reminder as we continue to talk about what it means to live a life on mission with Jesus. Uh, Jesus gave us the Great Commission. He told us to go and make disciples, and when he told us to go and make disciples, he told us that uh, we are called to baptize people, to teach them all that's been commanded, and he told us uh, that he was going to go with us wherever we go. And so for us, we've been going through this sermon series really looking at different relational spheres and how Jesus actually plays lordship over our lives and how he actually calls us to, to partner with him in this mission. And uh, we, we look at what does it mean to be a disciple in every single relational sphere? What is it that Jesus is actually inviting us into? And we talk about how our definition of being a disciple comes from Jesus' invitation. Matthew four nineteen, Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you into a fisher of, what's he say, a fisher of what? Fisher of men. And so for us, this is the definition of a disciple for Real Life Ministries is found in Jesus' invitation. Come follow me, and I'll make you into a fisher of men. And a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. And for every single one of us, we're, we're, we're following Jesus. If we claim to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus is changing us, and he's changing us to become more like him. He's changing us to be committed more to his mission, and he goes with us in every single relational sphere. And so I just want to show you this, this diagram we've been looking at every single week, uh, where this starts with an abiding relationship with Jesus. We have to choose to follow him, and he's at the center of everything. That's what that cross symbolizes, that we have an abiding relationship with Jesus. He says in John chapter 15, that if we follow him and if we abide in him, we will produce much fruit. But apart from him, we can do, what's he say? We can do nothing, nothing. And so we have to start with a relationship with Jesus. But as we go in life, as we enter into the church, as we enter into relationship with other believers, he begins to change us and equip us for mission. He gets us connected into real relationship, into the household of God. And he begins the process of transforming us. We've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Now we're starting to move into the relational sphere of marriage. Now, I want to tell you this. As we live life on mission with Jesus into our marriage, um, one of the things that I have noticed as a pastor that's been very, very prevalent over the last 18 months, we've had a lot of different things that have impacted our lives when it comes to navigating a pandemic. Um, one of the things that's, that's just become apparent in this season is uh, just when you think you could go and get something at the store, it's probably not going to be there. Like yesterday, I went all around the stores in CUNA. I went to DMB Supply. I went to Bymart. I went to Ridley's. And all I'm looking for is those little green canisters of propane. You know what I'm talking about? The ones you use when you go hunting, one you use when you go camping to stay warm. Yeah, they're nowhere to be found. Like they're just gone, right? I mean, it could be worse, it could be toilet paper, right? Like we got over that. We got toilet paper. We just might freeze together, me and my son, on the deer hunting trip this week, all right? Uh, but it's just not there. There's lots of things that we've had to navigate in the midst of this last season, and there's been a lot of impact of what we've had to navigate, and this is what I know. With all the different stress, with all the different changes, with all the different things, marriages have been impacted. Marriages, a lot of them, are struggling. 
marriages are on the brink in a lot of relationships of literally blowing up. I'm hearing over and over and over again, counselors are full. Counselors are full because of the amount of people that are coming and saying, we're struggling. And if you've come this morning, I believe that God has a message for you this morning. If you've come this morning, God wants to speak to you about your marriage. If you're here this morning and you're single, God wants to speak to you. If you're dating, God wants to speak to you. If you're widowed, God wants to speak to you. How do we navigate this season we're in where I believe the enemy wants to divide our marriages? He wants to divide households. He wants to cause more pain, more division, more disruption. How do we get back to having a vision for our marriage that's not rooted in what the world says, but what Jesus has to say? And what does that actually look like? Jesus actually talks about marriage. And he talks about it from the context of a bunch of different people that are coming to him and asking him questions about, is it okay to get a divorce? And this is what Jesus says in response to that in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, he says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, what's he say? Let no one, what's it say? Separate. Now Jesus starts to lay out here a foundation of what marriage is, and he's actually quoting Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and actually Genesis chapter 2, he brings two passages together. Well, we've got to understand that if we want to live a life on mission with Jesus in our marriage, we have to let Jesus define what marriage is. That's step one. If we're going to live a life on mission with Jesus, we've got to decide that we're going to let Jesus define what marriage is. And he's quoting Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What do we learn from Genesis chapter 1? Well, for us as a church, we believe in the traditional viewpoint of marriage. We believe that marriage is between a husband and a wife. We believe in the historically Christian view of marriage and sexual expression, namely, that marriage is a one flesh covenant union between two sexually different persons, male and female, from different families. That's important for the rednecks that to know. From different families, right? <laughs> different families. Can't be marrying your cousins, all right? From different families, and that all sexual relationships outside the marriage covenant are sin. Jesus gets to define marriage. He gets to define what that looks like. And he fleshes this out even more in Genesis chapter 2. He says, The Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. Everybody say alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. There is a lot going on as Jesus is talking and quoting from Genesis 2, and as the writer of Genesis, Moses writes in Genesis 2, uh, there's a couple of things that we need to really take a look at here if we're going to talk about marriage and talk about the implications of marriage, and, and not just marriage. I want you to notice in the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, God said, it is not good for man to be, what's he say? Alone. And we have to understand that us as human beings, that we are made for relationship. We are made for relationship. We are made to be connected with one another. And when we are connected with one another, we have the opportunity to actually experience wholeness. To experience wholeness. Not divided fracturedness, but instead wholeness. And that comes in real relationship. We're not designed to be separated. Now here's the thing. God designed us to be in real relationship and he gave us two amazing gifts of how real relationship looks. And one of those gifts is marriage. That gift gets played out in Genesis chapter two where he talks about Adam not being alone and creating a helper. Or in the Hebrew, it's called Ezer. Everybody say Ezer. I remember um, when me and my wife learned about this part of this scripture um, and, I, and we were learning about it at Bible college and and we ended up getting married. My wife, she, in our honeymoon phase where we, ooh, ah, oh, you're going and gone over each other. She'd go, she'd go, I'm your Ezra. I go, yeah, you're my Ezra. And that voice, that, you know, love voice. And people look at us like, who are these lovebirds over here? Going and on over each other. Anybody remember that in your first part of your marriage? Maybe you're in that stage right now. Um, eventually goes away, but it's not, it's okay. It's okay. It's just part of evolving in your marriage. It's, it's not bad, okay? Um, but yeah, this is, this is what it looks like to be in real relationship is marriage. God's given us that amazing institution to live out real relationship, to live out what it means to, to be a people that are connected in real relationship. But here's the other institution that God gave, not just marriage, the household of God, his church. Everybody say church. This is the two places where real relationship gets fleshed out. In marriage and in the church. In the marriage and in church, two pillars of real relationship is found, and that's truth and trust. Truth and trust. That's what real relationship is founded on. Truth and trust. And when people choose to live out truth and trust, when they choose to live out real relationship of transparency and vulnerability, do you know what comes? It's called intimacy. And that's what we're actually designed for. Intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. But it requires us to live in transparency and vulnerability, truth and trust, real relationship. It doesn't matter whether you're single or married, you're designed for this. This is what God designed you for is real relationship. And so for us as a church, we need to be a people that trust God in his definition of marriage 
and, and, and encourage spouses to live in truth and trust, transparency and vulnerability that leads to real intimacy. But there's people oftentimes that aren't married for a lot of different reasons. For some, it's because you've been divorced and you've chosen now to live your life in singleness. Where do they experience real relationship? It's not good for man, woman to be alone. Amen? Where are they supposed to experience that relationship? It's in the household of God. It's in the church. Where people that are divorced are welcomed in to experience real relationship on Sunday morning. Real relationship in a home group. What about people that are widows? It's not good for man or woman to be alone. Where do they find real relationship? It's in the church. It's in home group. Let's talk about a, a subject that's really front and center in our culture. Let's talk about homosexuality really quick. People that have decided that they are following the lordship of Jesus are attracted to the same sex and have chosen to now live a life of celibacy in reverence and honor to the lordship of Jesus knowing that homosexuality is a sin. And so they've chosen to live in singleness and reverence to King Jesus, knowing that that's not what God has for them. That's not the design of marriage. Are you with me this morning? Where do they experience real relationship if they're not going to be married? In the church, in the household of God. Marriages. Have you ever thought, husband and wife, home groups, have you ever thought, home group leaders, have you ever thought about the single person? who needs to be welcomed in so they can experience real relationship, truth and trust, transparency and vulnerability. This is what we're designed for, and this is what your marriage is designed for. I want you to notice what Jesus says here. He made them male and female, Mark 10, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become, what's it say? Two will become one. One flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus' design for your marriage is that you would be two or that you would be one. You'd be one. Not two. That you would be one. Now, all the guys, when they're about ready to get married, they love this passage. Two shall become one. <laughs> right? But is that all that Jesus is talking about? No. He's talking about a lot of different subjects, not just one. But what keeps marriages from becoming one? What keeps us from becoming what God has intended in regards to marriage? First one is this. I believe it's a lack of clarity for God's vision for your marriage. A lack of clarity for God's vision for your marriage. Do you realize that Jesus has a vision for your marriage and that you're called to have a vision for your marriage? That it's not just we live together. It's not that we just tolerate one another. It's not that just we get through this lifetime. That Jesus actually has a vision for your marriage. That it's male and female. Do you notice it's Genesis chapter 1. He says that he's called male and female to rule over the earth. That husband and wife are meant to complement each other. Ruling together for the good of God's creation. That you and your spouse are meant to love each other. 
in real relationship and to be a light and a beacon for other people. The vision of the Bible is an equal partnership of men and women in creation, in marriage, in salvation, in the gifts of the Spirit, in the ministries of the church, but exercised in ways that honor gender and roles for the glory of God. That when you decide to become married, you're, you're partnering together and partnering with God in His great mission of making disciples who make disciples. That your marriage is meant to be a light to other people. And that gets fleshed out by choosing, number two, to fight for oneness in your marriage. And oftentimes what keeps you from becoming one is a lack of fighting for oneness, of unity, of togetherness. I want you to think about this. For a man or a woman to leave means that we, we have to fight for individualism and we fight for oneness in your marriage. That your affections, your longings, your obligations, that your devotion to your old family is gone, and now you are starting a new family with husband and wife together. I meet with a lot of people that are about ready to get married or newlyweds, and this is one of the biggest obstacles to oneness in the start of the marriage is realizing you, you don't belong to the old family where you've come from. You are called to be one with your spouse now. You don't become a family when you start having kids. You become a family when you say, I do. And that you are called to be one with your spouse as primary. Anybody ever seen Everybody Loves Raymond? Everybody seen that show? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Right? constant fight about what's primary is it mom is it dad or is it my spouse and we've got to fight for that you've got to fight for oneness in your marriage because if you don't the enemy will win over and over and over again oneness together when we do this we actually reflect the image of god because god is one father son Holy Spirit. And in reverence with one another, they fight and keep in oneness. This is what Jesus did when he talks about the reality of what he did for the sake of mankind and in reverence and in submission to the Father. For God so loved the world, the Father gave his one and only Son, and Jesus submitted to the Father in that call. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son. Oneness, unity. I love how Matt Chandler puts it this way. He says, God's plan is for a man and a woman in the bond of the marriage covenant to have their souls, not just their bodies, become one. And this requires constant attention in your marriage to fight for oneness. Now, I know there's some of you in here that are fighting. You're fighting for oneness. And your spouse is not. And I want to tell you, you're not meant to carry that alone. The household of God is meant to come and walk beside you in the midst of the fight for oneness. It's the household of God that, that is going to encourage you and challenge you to fight for oneness. And here's what I know, is that when it comes to this, there is no way 
that oneness takes place apart from the Spirit of God, which we just sung about, the Word of God, and the people of God. We need all of it. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God in order to fight for oneness. And if you're in that place this morning, would you be willing to be transparent and vulnerable and say, I need help. I'm fighting for my marriage, and I'm doing it by myself, and I don't know how to do this. I don't know if I can keep doing this. Would you be willing to open up and say, I need help? What else keeps marriages from becoming one? Number three, sin that leads to hiding. Sin that leads to hiding. You notice that in the beginning, there was no sin. It says that they were both naked and they felt no, what's it say in the text? They felt no what? No shame. Later on, they sin, they disobey God, and they then go and eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And immediately, they receive shame. And I want you to notice what happens. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I, what's it say? Hid. Sin causes shame. And when we experience shame, we hide. And that's not God's design for how we should deal with sin. God is inviting us to actually choose real relationship, which, which means I come and I confess. I don't hide. But we're really good at hiding. Things that we hide from our spouse. These are the things that I hear, that I've experienced, that I've done. We hide debt, financial debt. We hide emotions like joy, fear, sadness, disgust, anger, and there are dozens underneath those headings of other emotions. We hide our porn. 80% of men in the last week have looked at porn. 30% for women, and it's rising. Sexual addiction, we hide. Drugs, alcohol, lies, we hide. But God's design for you is to not hide. God's design is for you to not hide physically, to not hide mentally, to not hide emotionally, to not hide spiritually. The antidote to hiding is vulnerability, it's transparency. The response to vulnerability and transparency is acceptance and ultimately forgiveness. It requires us to fight for oneness in our marriage to quit hiding. And sometimes in our marriages, we'll go through seasons where we don't hide at all, and then we believe the enemy and we begin to hide again. And Jesus is inviting us to come back into the light and to be honest and open and transparent and vulnerable and the response of our spouse when we do that is to listen and to choose 
to process what we're feeling, but ultimately to also offer forgiveness, to offer grace. Let me ask you this question. Are you a safe person for your spouse to confess sin? Ever thought about that? Are you a safe person for your spouse to confess sin? How do you respond to your spouse when he or she confesses sin? When was the last time you confessed sin to your spouse? When was the last time you looked at your spouse and said, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I hurt you. Will you please forgive me? Jesus has called us to not hide. And when we choose not to hide, the spouse's job who's hearing from the other person, it's actually your job to reflect the image of God to your spouse. Did you ever think about that? And yes, we have things that we need to work through because it's hurtful. It's hard when we hear sin that's going on. But that ultimately God is inviting us to reflect the image and nature and character of God back to our spouse. And here's the thing we need to understand is this is what makes marriage difficult is because oftentimes in real relationship we get hurt, right? All of us have been hurt in real relationship, right? Raise your hand if you've been hurt in relationship. All of us should be having our hands up, right? Here's what we understand is when we begin to learn how to fight for oneness and not hide our shame, but we are convicted and we walk into the light, but when we do that, we actually begin to get healed in relationship too. We're hurt in relationships, but we're healed in relationships. We're hurt in our marriage, we're healed in our marriage. We're hurt in the church, we're healed in the church. Because real relationship is where we experience this process of actually becoming holy. That when we do that, when we live that way, you guys, when we begin to learn how to confess sin to one another and live in real relationships with one another, we actually become more like Jesus. We actually become holy, which is actually the point of marriage. That whoever you chose to live your life with, that they are a partner and you becoming more like Jesus and bringing holiness into your life. And guess what? It is the hardest thing you will ever commit to is fighting for holiness in your marriage. Fighting for real relationship in your marriage. It is the most difficult thing ever. And guess what? It's also the most joy-filled, rewarding thing ever. And Jesus says, let no man separate. Fight for oneness. You're called to live a life on mission with your spouse. And that starts with God's design to walk with your spouse, to not hide anything, to be honest, to be open. And that when you do that, when you walk that way, you become more like Jesus. And I want to tell you, the world takes notice of your oneness. N.T. Wright puts it this way, male and female marriage is a profound reality at the heart of that whole story of God's good creation. Therefore, the coming together of male plus female is itself a signpost pointing to that greater complementary of God's whole creation of heaven and earth belonging together. Your marriage is meant to be a signpost to the rest of the world of the goodness of God. But it's going to require real relationship. 
It's going to require oneness. It's going to require you to quit hiding and to be honest about what's going on in your heart with your spouse. We get to show the world what our God is like through the way we love our spouse and walk as one in relationship. And I want you to think about this. I just want you to think about this. As we circle back around, Jesus goes with us into every single relational sphere. And he's given us what we're called to do. He's given us the Great Commission. He told us to, to what, what's the first word in the Great Commission? What's the first word? Go. But I want you to remember, before we go, we have to remain one. We have to remain one in our marriages. Because if you're not one in your marriage, you, you can't go. Jesus said a house divided cannot, what? Stand. And so it requires us to always ask the question, are we one? And if we are, we gotta go. Husband and wife, go make disciples. Are we one? Let's go make disciples. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. So a couple of things I want you to think about as we wrap up this morning and get ready for this week. Jesus gets to define the mission. He also defines marriage and singleness and the role it plays in redeeming the world he created. Marriage and oneness is, is intrinsically woven together. It's not only to reflect the image of God to each other, but to be a light to others of who our God is. And lastly, hiding our sin creates hurt, division, and chaos. Confessing sin brings healing, wholeness, and peace. And let me just say this. As you walk and you decide, I'm going to come and I'm going to be honest with my spouse, more honest than maybe I ever have been before, you might be saying, well, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yep, probably. <laughs> because you've got another spouse that's, that's learning how to walk out holiness as well. And there's this sharpening that begins to take place in the midst of the messiness. Iron sharpens iron, right? It requires two people to be honest and open and to work through each other's idolatry and sin in our hearts. But when two people commit to that and putting Jesus at the front and center of knowing that Jesus is forgiving you, and inviting someone else to forgive you. When you can learn that process, I want to tell you, wholeness, healing, redemption is coming in your marriage. Wholeness and healing is coming in your kids. For some of you, you didn't grow up in a family where you could actually talk about your sin. You just kind of, we don't talk about that. We'll talk about the mess. Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm in the mess. I'm the one that came and died for you. I came and got in the mess for you. And when marriages decide to actually live in true vulnerability, true holiness with one another, it changes generationally. It changes generally, generationally. One last thing, if you're wanting to dive in more about what this looks like, I've got two of my best friends, Chris and Sarah Short, that wrote a book 
called Built to Last. And it's just a free digital book. And there's a QR code up. I'd love for you to scan that code. It'll take you to a link. And you and your spouse, maybe this week, could actually ask the question, are we built to last? And what are the things that we can begin to do to invest in our marriage at a deeper level? And actually talk about some of these things. What does it look like to build a home, a foundation of marriage and all that we do so that our marriages would be one, so that we would be a signpost to the world about the goodness of God? For those of you that are single, my hope and desire is you'd be taking a lot of notes. That if you have a longing to one day get married, that you can start looking now about what that person looks like. You could start praying now about what that person looks like. Not just physically. but spiritually. And for those of you that have chosen singleness for the rest of your life, I want you to know you're not alone. We're with you. And you have so much to offer the household of God, the church, and you have a lot to offer our marriages as well. So choose a real relationship. Quit hiding. Because Jesus has invited us to bring it into the light because of his love and his forgiveness and grace in our lives. As we get ready for communion, I'd love for you to think about what Jesus is saying to you. What is he saying to you this morning as we get ready to share in a symbolic meal with him? What is Jesus inviting you into? And number two, if you're married, would you just pray for your spouse? And if you're single, would you pray about what it means for you to move the kingdom of God forward in the household of God, the church? And would you be willing to pray for the marriages you know that need help, that need encouragement? Let's get ready to have communion this morning with Jesus.